African music activist. She's not a common household word among the majority of people. I think she should be. This time, Madosini. I've listened to many Mkhope players. Madosini should produce sounds that you'll never, ever be able to get. Hello, I'm Bodina McConaughey, and welcome to this edition of African Music Activists, the podcast where we meet some of the continent's most important musicians. Important not just because of the music they make, but because of their contribution to keeping traditional African music alive, evolving, and above all, heard. Our African music activist this time has been described as one of South Africa's living musical legends. Latosi Mpahleni Madosini, usually just Madosini, which means the mother of the Dosini clan, is one of the world's greatest traditional bow players. Her mastery of the Mkhube, the mouth bow, the Uhadi, the calabash bow, and the Isitolotolo, the jaw harp, is remarkable. Not just because of her technique, which is extraordinary, but also because of her artistry, her ability to move and inspire people with her music. Madosini was born in 1943 and grew up in South Africa's Eastern Cape, near Mtata. But now she lives in Cape Town. We'll find out how that came about a little bit later on. I was lucky enough to meet her and sit down with her before the pandemic would have made it impossible to talk and even better to hear her play the instrument she's so famous for. She wasn't well as a child. She struggled to walk, so she didn't go to school. Still today, she can't read or write and speaks no English. But with my pretty basic Isikosa and some translation help from her niece, Pumza Mpahleni, we managed to understand each other. So, Okay, Madusini, tell us about where you're from and your family, where you were born. She tells me about her childhood, tending to the cows and the sheep, all the time, making music, learning the instruments from the older woman in her village, how bow-playing skills have been passed down, mother to daughter, from the ancestors, and how they are part of the Kosa culture. She tells me too that the music was particularly important to children like her who didn't go to school. It cheered them up, she says. They would play games with it, sending each other secret messages using the sounds. She says that when her leg was troubling her and she saw other children playing, she would cry. And her mother had comforted her by teaching her the uhadi, while the other kids only knew how to play the umkhube. All of this meant that while a lot of children played instruments, to little Latozi, it became particularly special. As we grew up as girls, we grew up with different gifts and passions. It became the number one thing in my mind, and I became very good at it. Even when I was asleep, and I would wake up and play it. It became part of me, and it always occupied my heart and constantly sounded in my mind. Madusini, is there 
anything about the way you play umkhube that is different from other people because you play it so much anything unique to you yes there is something different because we are not gifted the same i have the gift of playing umkhube in my blood i can teach somebody and they can know but they can't know it the way i do because god gave me the gift madusini did you ever think in your younger years that music would make you into this international star <laughs> no that never entered my mind i was only playing umkhube we didn't understand why the educated folks had audio devices playing sounds we would say my goodness educated people like unnecessarily fancy things we didn't know how important the umkhube was sometimes we would play with it until it broke and then we would just throw it away it was easy to go to the nearest forest to make another one i really never imagined that playing it would help me to be this person i used to think of myself as an illiterate person But Madusini's road to stardom was a long one. As a young woman, she did gradually become known throughout Mpondoland as an extraordinary player, and news of her music eventually reached Johannesburg. In 1974, a film crew who had heard about her visited and paid her a paltry 8 rand for 8 songs to use in their film. Some of her music did get played on the radio, and one of her pieces Utando Lupelile was used as a backing track on a radio drama. But commercial success didn't happen. She was disillusioned with the music industry and on top of that, her inspiration, the person who had taught her to play these precious instruments, died. Matosini, the mother passed away. She never wanted to play music again up until I brought her in Cape Town. That is Dizu Plikis, founder of South African supergroup Amampondo, associate professor of African music performance at UCT and another of our African music activists. He is also Madusini's nephew. Around 1994, he'd heard from a relative that she was struggling. She had no money and hadn't played music for 20 years. So, he sent word to her in the Eastern Cape that she should come to Cape Town. Even before his message arrived, Madusini, who was at a funeral, had felt that something was going to happen, and not necessarily a good thing. On Saturday, we had a funeral service. Two insects came to me, the spider and the bee. It's usually a sign of either a visitor or money when these insects come to you. As they were moving around me, I tried to chase them away. I called my sister Qeliwe and said to her, "There's something I'm going to see at home." I showed her the spider that was close to my eye and the bee that was buzzing around me. After the service was over, I went home. When I arrived at home, there was a big bag and I asked Nopelo, "Is the husband back?" She said, "No, mama, but there is an amazing surprise which came here." There's a person here who says he came to fetch you to play umkhube in Cape Town. And I said, they want me to play umkhube in Cape Town at this age. I'm way too old now, sister, and I'm no longer doing that. 
I'm here to ask you to phone them on my behalf, telling them I'm in hospital and I can't go. Eventually, she was persuaded to get on the bus and arrived safely in Cape Town to be met by Dizzy. This time was to be a musical reawakening for her. Only a few days after arriving in the city, Dizu had organized for Amampondo to play at the waterfront with their special guest, newly arrived from the Eastern Cape. It was going to be the first time for me to go on stage and play. On the following day, I met up with Mangwanya Mandombi Matotiane. We put on our costumes and went with our Uhadis and Uzungula, one of the guys from Amambondo. We arrived at the waterfront and played. I was too shy as there were many white people there. They were listening very intently. They were staring at me. I was so scared. I was almost shaking. I asked Zungula, why are these people looking at me like this? And he replied, it is because they are watching what you are doing, Matosini. It's very nice. It's very beautiful. I was still scared, more so because these are white people. Dizu said, no, Matosini, don't be scared of white people. They are our people too, but I wasn't having it. Gradually, though, she gained confidence. She joined Amampondo on tour, and then in December 1997, Dizu introduced her to Robert Trance, owner of the Melt 2000 record label. It was a meeting that was to change her life. Not long afterwards, Melt 2000 released her solo album, Power to the Woman, which was recorded with Dizu's help in Cape Town. The title, you know, it gives power to the women, you know. Then I recorded Matosini at Milestone with Mary Anderson. I said, listen, the album now is finished. You've got to come down and listen to your album. When Matosini listened to this album, she could not believe because now I got some other musician from Cuba, you know, one of the best conga player in the world, the Timbale player, you know, Jose Luce Quintana, known as Changuito, and Robbie and Maito, they were adding a Cuban flavor. And the album went bananas, you know, people were just buying that album. So the story of Matosin, it begins here. Finally, the world was able to hear her, and they liked what they heard. I asked Dizzy to explain what he believes makes her so special. Hey, that woman is a very special woman, let me tell you. I've listened to many Mkhope players. Matosini, she will produce sounds that you'll never, ever be able to get in Mkhope. And Matosini, she practices almost every day. And then when she plays the jaw harp, she's the only person on earth that I've ever seen. When she plays the jaw harp, she puts the jaw harp in the mouth, she does not hold it. And then she plays, daddy, daddy, you know, just like that. And when she plays the bow, also she's got a totally different technique. She said to me, when you play a bow, you must be able to sing. First, it's good to know the song. Now transport the song to the bow. Then it's going to be easy. 
unlike when you start by playing a bow and you add then after when you play all those overtones and harmonies that you hear now you add other voices and also what is important about the bow when the missionaries first came they've never struggled of teaching Kosa people how to sing the four-part harmony because we knew already from the bow you know so all those things you can hear clearly from Matosin you know that's why the lady is so special While I was in Cape Town, talking to Dizu and Madusini, I had the wonderful chance of seeing them actually play together. Here they are in Dizu's front room with Pumzan vocals, doing what they were born to do. What makes her so special is that She's not a shy person on stage. Very lively person. She doesn't care whether it's a European audience. They don't understand what she's saying, what she's singing. She's just be happy being seen by people. <laughs> After that first album, she was seen by many people. She began to make more of a living from her music and to travel the world, touring with Amam Pondo and on her own. Her music has been used in many films and documentaries. Other musical artists have incorporated her work into theirs. Plus, she's collaborated extensively with South African artists like Ringo Madlingozi, Pops Mohammed, Tandiswa Mazwai, Derek Gripper and Miriam Makeba, as well as international artists like Flynn Cohen, Gilberto Gil and touring the globe with British rock singer Patrick Duff. Ich war damals noch gesund und humpelte nicht. Ich konnte sehr schnell laufen und war die Anführerin. In 2002, South African composer Hans Heysen composed the songs of Madusini, what he describes as a miniature oratorio. It combines her music with a range of Western instruments as well as narration. Making the piece was a very positive experience for her. I, a violin, a guitar. We played along with so many other instruments violins, guitars, even the concertina. I used to enjoy listening to the umhobe alongside the violin. Hans and I have a song that we played together called It's got a violin, a guitar and a trumpet with the addition of uhadi and umhobe. Hans would ask me, where did you get the song? I replied by saying, I composed it. He asked, why? And I replied, the song is saying I see Madiba Sopijo helping the uneducated Madusini fly overseas during the time of Madiba Sopijo. Then I composed the song saying, Dibonu Madiba Sopijo. 
I compose it here. It comes from my mind. I once had no money to go home. Something said to me, I need to compose a song about this situation of not having money to go home. I compose it from my mind. This is Tadandina Mali, Didingimali Yokoduka. Tadandina Mali, Mama, it's a bad thing. Mali Yokoduka. Tadandina Mali, Mama, Didingimali Yokoduka. Kleine, aber fest entschlossene Prozession, bereit, unseren Gegnerinnen einst auszuwischen. In the notes that go with Songs of Madusini, Hans Hessen says... Madusini offers us one of the very last chances to catch a glimpse of Africa's prehistoric musical past. But he also points out that her music is no dry reconstruction of something gone by. I think what he's saying is that she's a living, evolving musician who is, at the same time, steeped in the ancient musical traditions of her culture. This makes her unique, and she should be celebrated. She has had some recognition. In 2008, she performed at the WOMAD Festival in the UK and even more importantly, was the first person to be recorded and documented as part of the festival's Musical Elders Archives project. In 2013, she was awarded the South African Arts and Culture Trust Lifetime Achievement Award for Music and there have been other medals and titles. In 2020, Rhodes University gave her an honorary doctorate and in the same year, she was South Africa's National Arts Festival's featured artist. But there is still a feeling that this extraordinary musician should be much more widely acknowledged. Professor Andrew Tracy is a former director of the International Library of African Music, ILAM, which is part of Rhodes, and another of our African music activists. I asked him how he feels about how much notice the world has taken of Madusini and her music. Not enough. <laughs> um, I think she's had some impact in Cape Town where she's performed a lot. She's had a lot of impact overseas when she, where she's travelled a lot. And the people seem to love her and her character, although she doesn't speak a word of English. Yeah. But she hasn't had enough impact here yet. She's not a common household word among the majority of people. Do you think she should be? Yes, I think she should be. She's important because she is a natural musician and, and composer who is able to take a thought about life and put it into music and put it to, to original music based on the bow. And from the bow part, she gets the harmony parts and the answering parts. She's a trained musician and she's very good at what she does. She expresses social values, not only musical ones. And she does it in a particularly African way, which is by using detail to bring out larger points. The talent that Andrew's talking about and the fact that Madusini has taken her extraordinary music around the world would be enough on its own to make her an African music activist. But she's not just focused on herself. She regularly takes in young musicians to teach them. She visits schools and universities where she will take up residence for a while and give lessons. In fact, she taught me when I was a student. She is passionate about passing on her skills to nurture the next generation, just as she was nurtured. Apakum, ngasa ke dufumane 
I want the music to carry on playing after I'm gone. I want to teach it to the whole country. I plead for a sponsor to help me travel and teach this music. I want to teach everything, starting from the making of Umhobe and Uadi to playing them. I usually purchase Istolotolo. I don't make that. I want to teach young children Umhobe at schools. I don't want to die with such a big gift without leaving it to people. And Madosini herself believes that not enough is being done to help her do this and that the world agrees. When I went overseas alone, they asked me if I have been put into any universities in Africa to teach this type of music. I said no. Those people cried and started hugging me and I cried too because of them. They said they cried because I carry such a big gift which could positively impact the whole world. They asked, do white people come to you? I said, they do come when I'm playing. What do they say about taking you to schools? Then I would say, they say nothing. They carried on crying. As I sat and listened to Madusini and Dizu play so effortlessly together in Cape Town, I was aware of how privileged I was, partly because I was getting a personal performance from two of South Africa's greatest musicians, but also because Madusini is soon going to be 78. Her health isn't brilliant, and in 2019 she was rushed to hospital in France because of heart problems. This extraordinary woman will not be with us forever. So we hope that with every accolade, every performance, every recording, every podcast, her profile will be raised. Perhaps that will help her to get the support she's asking for, to pass on these vital musical traditions, to make sure that more and more people hear and appreciate her genius. Whatever happens, though, there is one person who has finally understood the significance of Madosini, and that is Madosini herself. I feel very proud about my music, especially now that I'm more enlightened about how important it is. When I go on stage, I shout, Here comes Madosini! and ululate and sing praise poetry about myself. Thank you for listening to this edition of African Music Activists. To find the other podcasts in this series and to subscribe for free, search for African Music Activists wherever you get your podcasts. This is an ILAM production in association with the Menon Foundation's Unsettling Paradigms Multi-University Project and with further support from the Africa Multiple Cluster of Excellence at the University of Bayreuth, funded by DFG, the German Research Foundation. Yes.